Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Want to thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce for being the title sponsor of the Nolcast. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and a uh, sponsor that we are ever so lucky to have. Bud, let's uh, jump into the conversation from Saturday night and uh, a little bit of a little bit of a mixed bag. Some some very legitimate positives to take away from that game and to kind of look at as we're three games into the season and uh, some concerns that let's just say have uh, yet to be alleviated at the same time. Exactly right. Uh, so I was actually working on a project today at, at bannersociety.com for, for the, uh, for the read option newsletter. I know y'all subscribe to that or a lot of y'all do it's free uh, and you get, you get more me in your inbox uh, typically onto non FSU topics, but occasionally some FSU stuff. And I was looking at, at last year's SP plus ratings at this time. Because people are like, are, are you sure this team is better than last year's? And using something totally unbiased like that, right? Or you can use FPI or whatever if, if you have those ratings from last year. This time last year, they were off to a one and two start. They were 77th in SP+. They ended up finishing 71st. This time last year, they were coming off that game uh, against Syracuse. Today, they're 42nd. In the preseason, we said what? They need to return to be in like a at least a top 40 level team, if not better, I think. So they're not better, or they're not where they need to be right now. They are legitimately improved. I went and looked at, at, at the ratings again here, and it's still early, so I don't think these things are, are totally concrete. But Florida State would be this Florida State team on a neutral field against last year's Florida State team at this time would have been about a 10 point favorite over last year's team. A lot of that is because this year's team can actually score some points, right? And last year's team could not. This year's defense is not as good as last year's defense, obviously. But the uh, the improvement defensively, or excuse me, the improvement offensively has been larger than the, than the uh, regression on defense. And the special teams are, uh, well, they're night and day <laughs> right now, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not even close. So overall... A big improvement so far on the year, but not a big enough one for my taste. And we kind of did a pretty good job, I think, in the instant of breaking down the game. I went and rewatched, and usually I think I miss a lot more stuff in the instant than, than I did. So I don't really want to go over like every single little aspect of the game again. But there is this element here. We have Willie Taggart talking about how he thinks the defense probably was tired in, in, in the fourth quarter at, at his press conference. You know, we have Kendall Bryle saying, hey, I'm, I'm not going to slow down the offense. That was last week. And I, I'm just looking at this, and good Lord, like sometimes you got to watch with your eyes, and sometimes you got to look at the stats. And, and I think our best work is when we do both. But we need to have a discussion about tempo, defensive strategy, playing complementary football, and, and assigning blame for, for what's going on with, with the defense uh, if, if you want to. No, there's no better place to start. And, and we need to, and uh, <laughs> I, I hope the whole staff has this conversation. I mean, I mean, I hope there's an open exchange of ideas because you need to, and you need to make sure that you're operating in a manner that's complementary of, of all facets of the game. And I think if you're going to ask uh, the offense to play one manner, the defense has to uh, be on the same page as far as nothing else, uh, what to expect. And I think Willie needs to do a better job of uh, 
of knowing how his two units want to operate and a little bit better job of managing them uh, and finding a better relationship between the two. I do not mean that the offense needs to go changing. That's not what I'm necessarily saying. And I, I know people will mock us and say that tempo, tempo, tempo always has to be there. But I think, if, at least in my opinion, if you dedicate yourself to playing this offense, which with the conversation we just had, the rewards from playing such an offense have been uh, mind-blowing and in a manner that the two of uh, the two people that you're listening to would have had a hard time conceptualizing, uh, that let's have a conversation and try to figure out a best way to make all this work because right now it doesn't appear to be in a whole lot of harmony. Yeah, the, the improvement the offense has shown so far, and it, look, it's just three games, but good Lord, they, they are so much better than they were last year. And people will point to some three and outs and, and some second half production issues at times. Look, the improvement here is, is undeniable. Right? You, they're, they're, right now, they're 13th in the nation in offensive SP+. Last year, they were, what, 97th, I think it was? It was, it was pretty crazy. I remember it was, I think, in the 90s. Here's the thing. You only had a 33% success rate or worse in three of the four quarters. You have to overcome an offensive line that is still a bad line. This line's not below average. Their havoc rate allowed is 119th in the nation, and that's with the tempo. All right? We see how this offense operates when it gets behind the chains. When it can't use tempo to get people out of position, to, to not, not allow them to line up, it's done. You might as well punt. All right, it, it does not convert those downs. Those are basically death downs. We went, we went over that. Passing downs in this game, Florida State's offense had a 17% success rate. That's about, that's almost, it's not quite half of what the national average is, but it's, I mean, you're talking about really, really bad. And that's because when the defense can get lined up, because nobody's going tempo in, in, in the passing downs for the most part, right? Like you, you kind of need a little more time to dial up stuff there. When the defense can get lined up and when it does not have to respect the run, which is what you do with the RPO game and literally like, you know, have to worry about the run. When you have downs that dictates you probably have to pass, this offense is screwed. So it has to use tempo and use tempo aggressively to hide this offensive line. Now, the quarterback issue, James Black, and we'll probably talk about another episode. I want to see another game from him. But... I don't think he was necessarily that great either in this game. Um, but they have to overcome the offensive line. We already said that when when you use the tempo, you're able to hide the O-line a little bit. This offense is at its best when it runs at an elite tempo. Right now, they're actually number two in the nation in adjusted pace, uh, which is really, really good. Uh, it's even faster than I, than I thought they could do. They're they're doing a decent job of forcing people to get them, you know, solo tackle them so you're getting the ball in space. Uh, but the problem here is, despite the fact that they're number two in adjusted pace, they're not getting enough plays. And a lot of that, to be honest, is, man, it's, it's the defense's fault. The defense is on the field a lot and for a long time. And, and this is what I want to address tonight specifically because we're hearing, oh, the defense is tired. Too bad. Right? <laughs> the, the, the Steelers' Ontavius' words. Too bad. Too bad. Right? Too bad, yes. I mean, it's the defense's own damn fault. It's not like the defense is having to 
to be out there and defend a bunch of drives. They only had to defend 11 drives in this game. 72 plays. So when I see you had to defend 72 plays over 11 drives, you know what that tells me? That tells me you as a defense suck, right? It tells me that you as a defense are allowing long, time-consuming drives yeah. that, that, that do not allow your offense to get the ball back, that you tire yourself out. And I'm not necessarily blaming individual players for this to me is, and it's not really even a, uh, like a, what scheme are you running thing? It's a, a, a mindset and a mentality issue here that they need to adjust. This defense so far this year, 115th in success rate allowed, 32nd in explosiveness allowed. That is like the exact, if that was flipped, I'd probably be okay. The, the problem here is you're allowing teams to stay on the field constantly against you. A lot of it was was a run game in the first couple games, but also the past you know the, the past defense has been really really poor. Uh, but you're not really daring teams to hit explosive plays over the top against you. I mean, can you think about the plays that teams have hit down the field against Florida State this year? Louisiana Monroe had had the tight end right on on that deep shot. And I think that was on on a freshman. You had the wheel route to uh, in the UVA game, which was actually on the corner that was not on Warner. Uh, Warner is not supposed to carry that guy, obviously. Like the, the corner is supposed to peel off and not follow the post, and he didn't do it. Probably because his defensive coaching right now is is poor. And like I said last episode, I would have fired this defensive staff uh, at, after week two. Um, I, I think they all deserve to lose their jobs, given the regression of this defense, which should not be happening. But the, the way they're playing this just doesn't make any sense. You're not playing to your strength. And your strength right now is the offense. Again, 115th in success rate allowed, 32nd in explosiveness allowed. That should be flipped. You want to get the ball back to the offense as quickly as possible. If that means giving up a couple long scores and quick drives, that's fine. If you're trading it off for some more punts, some more three and outs, maybe maybe a couple more turnovers if you believe in forcing them as opposed to them being luck. Four drives the defense had, right? Nine plays, nine plays, 11 plays, and 11 plays. That totaled 21 minutes of possession time for UVA. Again, they only had to defend 11 drives. The defense being out there is not the offense's fault. 11 drives is a very small number of drives, okay? 21 minutes of possession time on those four drives. Man, I, I'm so tired of this whole oh, the offense going three and out. No, man. It's the defense constantly allowing easy, short completions that keeps the offense ahead of the chains. I mean, thank God they fixed the run defense. Or I mean, I don't want to say fixed. That's probably not the right word. Thank God they improved the run defense some in this game, and they did a pretty good job of keeping Perkins bottled up because he is very mobile. But the pass stuff, you still have your safeties playing really deep, and you, and you have your corners playing really off. And, and this is just too much success rate allowed. You're not forcing passing downs from the opposing offense, right? They're almost never getting in disadvantageous situations. You actually did a pretty good job when you got them into those situations. Just the, the problem is you almost never did it in this game, right? So check this out. UVA had 30, 30 completions, right? They threw the ball 40 times. They had 30 completions. Do you want to know how many of those passes were for more than 15 yards of the 30? Four. Three. Dude, three. 10% of UVA's passes went for 15-plus yards. They had 27 completions of less than, less than 15 yards. 
even if your linebackers suck in coverage, and they do, even if the communication between your safeties and backers is not any good, and it's clearly not, right? This defense does not play as a unit. Again, I would fire this defensive staff. I think they're doing a terrible job. Even if all that's true, if you come up a little bit and you flood these shorter and intermediate zones with more people, you're going to dissuade some of these short intermediate passes and you're going to force opposing offenses to take more risks. Now, look, that could be a situation in which they hit some balls over the top of your defense, and that's fine. I mean, that sucks at times, but look, at the same time, you're getting the ball back to your own offense. You're giving your offense the ability to tire out the opposing defense, and you're not allowing the the, the opposing offense to hold the ball forever. Uh, This is... This is crazy, man. Eleven possessions. Not only does it is it a is it a fit as you very well articulated as far as what you're trying to do on one side or the other. Uh, I would say it's been a fairly clear fit just from the talent you faced. Make make a freshman playing in his first game uh, at noon. Make him make challenging throws down the field. The last two kids you've you faced decent athletes. Neither of them great throwers. I philosophically don't understand why you would drop back. And and allow these guys to beat you six, seven, eight yards at a time. Uh, I don't, man. Make somebody throw a well placed nine route on you. Make somebody make challenging passes. I, I'm I am, and this is more what I was originally alluding to. When the the two of these things don't fit together, uh, you've like you've said, you've got to flip those two stats. You've got to be uh, explosive as hell. And if somebody beats you for seventy seven yards, that's going to happen. But these ideas that you can have these long-lasting, demoralizing drives continually happen against you, uh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work frequently in any type of football. Uh, sure as hell is not going to work when you're trying to play the type of offense that you are. One of our big things here, right, is is we try to first-guess things. So I feel like this is qualified because we literally said this is how they need to play in the preseason. Another thing here is – we try to figure out what the coaches were actually thinking, right? And in some cases, we were like, you know what? Okay, what they did makes sense, and all right, that's fine. In, in this case, if you think Perkins is a bad thrower and you want to dare him to consistently throw accurately underneath, I get that. All right. In the first in the first half, he actually did have some misses. Some of those were due to pressure. Some of those were just flat-out misses. However, in the second half, when he started hitting some throws – those short throws. It seemed like the FSU's answer was not tighten up the coverage, right, and 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 deny some of those short and intermediate passes. It seemed like Florida State's answer was actually blitz a lot more. And when I'm talking about being more aggressive, I'm not talking about blitzing more. I'm talking about literally playing more aggressive with your coverage, okay? I'm not suggesting that they need to blitz a, a, a ton more. Uh, now, Maybe we'll get to that discussion in a little while when we talk about how Kendo's out for the year because that's going to hurt. Florida State on the day, 63% success rate allowed on standard downs. That is, God, that's bad, right? And a lot of them, is because we know it's, it's not like UVA had a lot of success in the run game. This is a result of allowing a lot of short passes. The national average for success rate on standard downs, 46%. UVA, 63%. So, so they were way over the national average allowed. Now look, on passing downs, Florida State only allowed 13% success rate. That is tremendous. 
right? As we said earlier, national average 31, FSU allowed 13. So when they got them into these long down and distances, they were great. The problem is they almost never got them into these long down and distances because they were constantly allowing all this short nonsense on, on first and second down, right? First and 10. Second and seven are better. Second, second and two doesn't let you let you get into too many advantageous like, situations. Check, check this out. At, at one point, the, the Perkins completed 16 passes in a row, right? Which is probably a good indication that you need to change something up. In my opinion, you know, maybe around like pass number seven or eight, I would change something. Second and seven, five yards. Second and 28, two yards. All right, so that one didn't work out for him. First and 10, 15. First and 10, six. Second and four, 13. First and 10, four. Second and six, two. First and 10, seven. Second and three, four. First and 10, four. Second and six, 12. First and 10, nine. Second and one, 12. First and 10, seven. First and 10, 11. First and 10, nine. Now look, what you don't hear there is me say the word 16. You only hear me say the word 15 once. All these passes that he was hitting were in the short to intermediate range. He didn't, Florida State did not make him challenge them. Like they did not force him to go deep one time in a 16 completion streak. And all of those passes, with the exception of one, came on standard downs. They have got to tighten up their coverage on standard downs. Otherwise, they're going to keep getting shredded and they won't get to the passing downs. Mm, this is this is bad, man. I've been saying this for three shows now. And again, I do think you should fire this defensive staff and maybe they'll be able to install Levitt as the DC or something come the bye week. But Harlan Barnett and, and Woody and those guys are, are doing a bad job right now. This defense, and look, that some credit is deserved, I guess, for helping out with, with, with the uh, – with the run fit rules, but man, like just so much space underneath is being allowed right now. Part of that is, I think, is their their zone principles are are poor. And I'm not saying I want these guys to say you need to play man all the time. I do think you need to walk your safeties up more. I do think you need to start taking more more coverage chances. This is this is horrendous. Man, I, I know that's a long that's a long opening segment, but I, I think we kind of needed that. <laughs> Shoot, I, I've been thinking about this all day. I, I was, I, I got, I got Absolutely. the numbers and from from a friend of mine who is a lot of y'all know. And I was like, man, you got to be kidding me! How in the, how do you allow a sixty three percent success rate on standard downs? How, how do you how do you allow a thirteen percent success rate on passing downs, but almost never force anybody to get to a damn passing down? You you let a lot of seven, eight, and nine yard you completions. You let Bryce Perkins to yeah, go thirty yeah. and forty this on you. A, you let you let some guy get comfortable. And a lot of seven, eight, nine-yard completions will help pad stats, help demoralize your defense, and uh, help a guy get into a flow. One final little question about what they did, particularly in the fourth quarter with the proclivity, and we're not making this all about man and zone, but uh, did you think that some of the defense uh, of play calling was reflective of the idea of trying to, uh, to limit what Perkins could do with his legs, particularly as the plays broke down? There's no doubt. I mean, and I, I think that the staff does deserve some credit for, for limiting that throughout the game, right? They did a pretty good job on him. We we said all summer and kind of got mocked for it. Remember the whole, like, Perkins is – like, we were saying Perkins is the second-best quarterback in the league. And it was like, are you kidding me? Like, no, guys, he's – look, it's not always pretty, but he's really effective at what he does. He, he, he scrambles around quite well. Uh, I, I thought they did a decent enough job on Perkins, right? 
Um, and I think that maybe there was too much focus on that at times. You got to remember in the second half, they played without Kendo a good bit. Uh, and I, I think that hurt because he was having a pretty nice game from what I saw. Man, it, it's just – you can be concerned with, with Perkins' legs and still not play your safeties and corners that far off the ball. Um, I, I just think you – at some point, you have to force people to, th- to prove they can throw over the top of you as well. You know, we're seeing that right now with Florida State's offense, and, and Blackman's been, been largely unable to do so. Also, I mean, part of that's protection, certainly. So want to thank our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group, as always, and uh, Bud, since the first day we paired with him, I'm going to sing one of my more uh, favorite songs when it comes to Mad So. I want to remind people that the 17th of each month is Reuben Day. Fantastic sandwich. They do it once a month, and damn if they don't do it exceptionally well. So uh, if you come out and uh, listen to the podcast here before noon, you're in the Tallahassee area or so, uh, take it on over to Madso for either a lunch or a, a dinner. Fantastic place and always want to remember the 17th of the month for the Reuben. And also want to remind people of the brunch uh, that takes place on Saturdays and Sundays. Got you a nice 3.30 kickoff. Uh, Bud and I were so fortunate a couple weeks ago to be able to go there pregame. Fantastic place. Uh, it's just great to watch kind of the, the game day unfold in front of you there with the fields and the stadium. And uh, we couldn't have a, a better pairing when it comes to sponsors and want to remind everybody that uh, they're open, available to uh, to patronize, and uh, we want to thank them and the support that you listenerships provided to all of the uh, For the Table restaurant groups. You want to move to some of the some of the penalty conversations that uh, and, and flags that were thrown on Saturday night here? Yeah. First of all, I want to note that I don't think the, the announcing crew did that, that good of a job in that game. They, they really misdiagnosed the clock situation. At the end, um, they really harped on penalties for both teams a ton. That was a bit surprising to me, but but it's just kind of it's it's low hanging fruit for announcers, right? Florida State did not lose the game because of penalties; it lost the game because it allowed a boatload of easy completions on first and second downs. Now, I will say that there are some of these penalties. I, I think if we go over all the penalties, right, we we can note either some trends or we can say, okay, this one was fine. This one was, you know, just poor technique. This one was laziness or this one was like lack of, of uh, lack of focus or, or, or lack of discipline. Cause I, I think penalties come in different, different, different forms. Right. We'll note that on the year uh, FSU's, FSU's penalties are actually down 12% on a per play basis. So uh, that's some progress. I don't think that's enough progress, to be honest. The, the, the progress that Taggart made at previous stops like USF and Western Kentucky was uh, was better. So, anyway, um, offense. They had, what, I think two penalties on the day. Bellow had an, an eligible man downfield. This was not his fault. James Blackman <laughs> pump faked a like – the, the old RPO pump fake, yeah. That's, yeah, but uh, it wasn't even like a quick pump fake. I mean, he, like he was – that that's got to get eliminated. We that was not the only time that happened. Um, just as you mentioned in the Insta, you're, the fake is the read. You, there's there's no extra fake there. Uh, you've either got to throw it or get rid of it. Yeah, because the linemen are literally run blocking, right? That's the uh, that's the R in the RPO. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you can't can't. <laughs> Because if they're run blocking, yeah, there can't be a P in the, or there can't be two P's rather in the RPO. 
eventually they're going to get downfield, very far downfield, because they're going to think, oh, the ball was handed off, right? The reason why the play stays legal or pseudo-legal is that you're run blocking and the ball comes out quick so that you're not too far downfield when the ball is actually thrown. Uh, we had a holding on a sack, which was declined. Obviously, I, I put that in there just to note, like, yeah, this offensive line, it, it struggles. Uh, UVA, check our notes here. UVA was definitely one of the six that we had that we thought would beat Florida State up front, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so, so so far in the games that we thought they'd get beaten up front, um, largely they have, I think, especially when, when they were unable to hide it with tempo. Uh, the good news is that uh, there are – six other games coming where we don't th- or five other games coming where we don't think that will happen and we might actually move Syracuse into that column although Syracuse's defensive ends remained extremely good uh, their run defense this year has been horrid and I do think if you allow Florida State to run the football on you uh, you're gonna have a long day because then a lot of the other parts of the offense really start to work so uh, Syracuse still in, in the probably give you problems up front category for me but one more game of, of poor play from them and, uh, and I might go ahead and move that. All right, to the defense. Ingram, I'm noticing more penalties here on the defensive side of the ball. I don't know if you see this on, on our sheet here. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what my memory of uh, Saturday night has in it as well. So, uh, yeah, toughy, toughy, and a f- rough little final 15 minutes of the game for, uh, for the defense. You had an early uh, Lars Woodby face mask. Uh, Cooper lined up offsides. Uh, I think Cooper lined up offsides once, and was did one of the defensive ends get lined up offsides? I know you had two of them. Uh, Dontavius Jackson had a hold. Cooper had the personal foul that I've had the most uh, contention with of all of them. Uh, 23 picked up a face mask. Marvin Wilson slapped a man in a face mask. And then Renardo Green got a personal foul and later to be ejected via targeting. Um yeah, so the defense definitely had a, a little bit of an uptick when it comes to some of the penalties. So, okay, uh, if we could break these down in the categories, lining up off sides is like lack of attention to detail, right? That's not like a penalty of aggression. It's not a penalty of like lack of, of emotional control. They had, they, had, uh, they had two offsides penalties in the game. I, I think two might be excessive. If you have one, I understand that happens sometimes. Um, Does this is very nebulous, but does it does it feel like that happens more in football than it, like I don't know I I just feel like I see that committed more frequently and called than I remember and, and even watching pro games I'm like yeah I think they probably could have called the defense it just seems to be a, a much more prevalent thing in ball at least uh, for me anecdotally I, it, it I, I am I feel like I'm noticing it more I don't have any data on it but yeah I I, I do feel that way. Okay, so the D-Jacks hold, that was, in my opinion, he just got beat. And uh, look, his pass coverage technique is not very good. He had to hold, so I, I would put that one on uh, on technique and and play. The Cooper personal foul, I, I, I do have a problem with I, not him doing it. I just think that that should not be called. Um, now, look, the slam, you can say, was a little bit unnecessary, but those refs, we're letting those piles just stay up and up and up, man. Yeah, absolutely. They just had a, a five, two minutes earlier. They had a kid wrapped up, and he ended up getting a plus three out of it. That that's a that's a tough, especially on a that's a really tough call to make against a kid. And I don't know that you need to get you know used to sue playing kids if you're Cooper and you're so damn big. 
uh, op, you know, just from an optical standpoint, you're probably going to get called against you more times than not. But uh, that one, that one, I had a, more of a problem with than anything else. Yeah, I, I totally agree. My thing is, call it if the hit is initiated after the whistle, right? If the guy's in the middle of the hit when you blow the whistle, man, it's almost impossible to, to like let to have a split second reaction and let up like that, especially if it involves momentum. Nashville Dean's face mask. I don't even remember this one. I, I don't have anything on my notes on this. Do you remember what this was? Was he out of position and trying to let, like run and catch up to the guy? A lot of times face masks are because either you got juked or you're you're out of position and you're trying to get back in position and, and you're reaching as opposed to driving to a guy. I feel like this happened out on the sideline. I don't have a great recollection of it, uh, to be honest with you. I, I think maybe not on the sideline, but there was a play in the flat. Uh, I don't remember it, and I don't remember it being – uh, egregious. I think he might have just gotten shook a little bit and ended up getting a hand that caught caught in a guy's face mask. Gosh, I mean, look, two, two face masks is not good. You need to go ahead, like obviously Woodby had one too. N- need to make sure that you you clean that up. Marvin Wilson, the personal foul that that's unacceptable. UVA actually did something kind of. Inter- did you notice that what UVA did? They uh, this is kind of a, an interesting idea here. They just kicked the ball short, and Florida State fair caught it. The, Florida State did not suffer from the penalty in any way, right? The, the, the personal foul was a dead ball personal foul. It was after it was after a, a scoring play, so UVA was going to be kicking off, and instead of like trying to do a squib kick or something, right, from like, like to where Florida State couldn't fair catch it, uh, instead they just kicked off kind of regular and and it had the same effect as if you had booted it all the way through the end zone. Um, I, I, I was kind of curious. I, I, I didn't think UVA handled that situation very well. By the way, they were also very highly penalized in this game. The refs uh, were, were pretty flag happy here. Um, and UVA, just for reference, is not a team that, that is penalized often, uh, typically at all. And then Renardo Green on, on the personal foul targeting. I, man, it's hard to have a huge problem with this. You've got a freshman inserted in, into a, unlucky. Kid that was real unlucky on a really poorly thrown ball. I mean, the dude kind of ducks into him. By the way, like, yeah. it's not a thing where where he was not head hunting that guy, like like trying to go above the shoulders. Renardo is not a tall guy anyway, uh, and I don't think he could seriously anticipate that throw uh, would have been as bad as it was. Uh, I just think he sees the guy turning and he knows, okay, like look, this is clearly something in this defense that you're going to give up. We did it all night, right? Giving up the short throw. <laughs> Got to run up there and make the tackle. That's kind of how they were playing it. So, you know. Um, and then on special teams, you also had a holding on Renardo Green. So in looking at this, the number of penalties is very disappointing. The, they're not showing enough improvement in the penalties, in my opinion, as they need to be. However, I will note that the types of penalties and the way they got them, right, were, for the most part, not the same as they were like against Louisiana Monroe. We did not have guys like roughing people who had fair caught punts, right? You did not have dudes taking people's face masks and jamming them into the ground well after the whistle. Uh, it, it wasn't just stupid, I don't want to use the word thuggery, but it wasn't like, it wasn't just stupid, like selfish nonsense with the exception of, of Marvin's, obviously, you know, you can't take a swing at somebody, especially not after the play. That that UVA screwed up the, the 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 kickoff after that is not really a saving grace. 
I don't think. But uh... no, no, Dontavius uh, agreed his personal foul this week. There is the beautiful two point conversion that everybody else has already talked about, uh, where you just have a guy choose to engage and hit a blocker rather than the actual ball carrier. But uh, point point is accurate that uh, you know Marvin Marvin had a misstep. I don't know that I've ever seen him uh, necessarily act like that. I, I've personally thought he was somewhat fortunate not to get ejected. But yeah, let's uh, let's see if we can continue with uh, with a little bit better met some of the situations that bring about uh, the personal fouls. With that, Bud, do you uh, you want to move to some of the questions that we have here? Uh, I think we need to. How, how long are we here? We're thirty one minutes. We're really kind of right on schedule. I want to give a shout out to uh, Jeff Sims, who uh, had six touchdowns in a game for Sandalwood. Jeff Sims, who look if James Blackman doesn't improve, he's going to have a shot to come in and play. Yeah, he's going to have a as, very real as shot. a true freshman, yeah. especially because he's very mobile, uh, which which could be helpful in this offense considering if she really can't block. Uh, so yeah, and whereas in previous springs James might have been the benefactor of the doubt, I think you uh, I think you pivot that on its head pretty hard next year. Yeah, he's uh, so far he, he's underwhelmed a little bit. It, it, the weird thing is that I used to think he threw the deep ball extremely well. <laughs> and uh, this year, he, he's not thrown it very well uh, at all. All right. Yeah, let's go to – well, you want to do the Willie talk first or do you want to do some listener questions? Because a lot, the Willie talk kind of sprang out of a lot of listener questions that we got. Let's do that. Let's do that. All right. This will be our Ask the Ex- Expert question of the night. All right, Ask the Expert brought to you by Travis Johnson, attorney at law. Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. Travis is a board-certified family law attorney with over a decade of experience in divorce, custody, guardianship, and a variety of other family law matters. Each case is unique, and Travis Johnson has the experience to handle your specific situation with the care it requires. Offices in the panhandle, but he'll come to you. Cases throughout the state, 850-435-9919. It's 850-435-9919 to get hooked up with one of the few Board certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida. All right, so a lot of folks uh, have asked questions this week about firing Willie Taggart. Uh, Willie Taggart is only, what, 15 games into his tenure in Tallahassee. On his face, that obviously seems premature, but things are not going really well. Uh, the team has not improved at, at the rate that, uh, that we expected or that people want to see, and they're, they're understandably uh, angry, especially because Willie Taggart misjudged his own team and, and, and pumped up the expectations. Uh, of the fan base in a way that he could not deliver upon. And I, I think if he had taken more of a little little calmer uh, or just tamped down the expectations a little bit initially, maybe things would be going better. But with that said, uh, a lot of people are like, are, are, you, are you sure they can't fire him? And so we we asked, right? And we've asked several times for people who we, we think would know. And Ingram, I'll, I'll let you share kind of what, what we got on that. Uh, short answer is no. Uh, you just the money's not there. I mean, this is going to be repetitive, and and we've hammered this home, uh, but it's just not there. It, there's a certain figure that has to be met before anyone's even going to entertain the conversation. So, um, could Bud and I do a couple series of podcasts and have some real sexy titles on them about looking for a new head coach or something like that? It would be a waste of your time. I mean, that, that's this really, if you want to have the head coach discussion, you need to wait at least 12 months. As far as just having the discussion about who some of the prospective people would be, it's a non-conversation right now. Uh, could things change? I guess. 
Could Florida State choose to sell assets? I highly, highly doubt and hope not. Well, they could, in theory, choose to do it. I mean, they w- could would they? <laughs> yes, they could. You're absolutely right about that. As I, could again, somebody I say get this mad all enough the time. Yeah, somebody could get million? mad enough. There has to be somebody on the radar at this point that is <laughs> has otherwise not shown an ability to provide ten to an eight digit figure to even have serious conversations about thinking about it. Just not in play right now. And the actions of uh, the boosters are very representative of that. They've been all in on trying to provide Willie with every tool possible to be successful because they really need Willie to be successful. And this is not an institution that's not that's in a place to uh, to kick this whole process up again. So, some you know, if you want to listen to some rumors or you want to do whatever else about who could be interested in the job. I think it's fanciful talk for at least eight to 10 months or well, really 12 months. I mean, you've got to be here next year and have another poor start to even really begin to entertain that conversation. I I totally agree with that. Um, Here's the other thing. And look, we'll never say never, right? Maybe somebody come, maybe somebody wins a lottery, right? And and comes in and says, all right, I'm going to spend half my lottery winnings on paying a guy not to work for, for the next three or four years. However, we, I, I thought this was kind of cool. We're going to share sort of what we talked about on the phone uh, mid-afternoon today. I said, hey, let, let's talk about the other thing here. Even if they did end up having the money for the buyout, okay, what, why would this still not be a good idea to make a move right now? Okay, and I think that it comes down to two major categories, and, and I'll – the first one I'll, I'll tackle it, and I think you can tackle the second one, or we'll tag team it. The first one is that you're only 15 games in. Perception here matters a whole lot. Okay, Florida State is still going to be a very good job, but if you fire somebody after two years in the early signing period era, right, where we know like their first full rec- like their first recruiting class that they, they sign is probably going to be a bust, and there's certainly a lot of busts in this one already, it looks like. And a lot of their coaching hires are likely to struggle. I mean, these coaches this weekend, they struggled again against the spread. I've been tracking this. Like the, the, the coaches hired in the early signing period era so far are really struggling because of, of, of the changes in, in, in the schedule, I think. They have a lot to do with it, especially in the hiring of coaches as well as getting recruits. The other thing here is that Willie's agent is Jimmy Sexton. If if you were going to do this, which they're not going to do, if you were going to do this, Jimmy's going to tell everybody exactly what's been going on at Florida State, right? About how you know his former client Jimbo always like, laying about money and whatnot, and that's back when Florida State gave him basically a blank check to do whatever he wanted right. within reason. Okay, and really screwed <laughs> up some projects. Irony, by the way, that that that. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that like false narrative is very much the reason why Florida State's in the place that it is right now. Yes, 100%. This this idea that Florida State won't pay for facilities or won't do everything. Uh, I Whenever national people call me and ask me my opinion, I'll, I do stop the conversation at facilities. That is a, a little bit of a myth that's out there. Now, does Florida State have Bama, Georgia, whatever? No, but Florida State has exceptional facilities. Uh, and has yes, are they maybe a little bit later in getting them? And by that, I mean 18 to 30 months than 
a lot of these other schools, but the facilities is not a problem. And it uh, certainly wasn't a problem for Jimbo. Right. Like literally they wasted money so much there during that era. Like he wanted the practice fields done. They did them. And then like a year later, he's like, yeah, I want the, I want the IPF right here. Like they were like, wait, what? We just spent how many million on like doing these practice fields right here. And then you want to put the IPF right over top of it. Like at some point there's a limit, but here's the thing. They have very real budget cuts going on. Like, remember when I, when I told you about how how the staff was really pissed about about them taking the drinks out of the fridges, like almost right when they got there, and they're like, "What? Yeah, what the hell?" I, like, I very much remember that. And I don't think the coaches. I, this may be hyperbole. It to me, it didn't feel like the coaches had been in the office for more than maybe four to five business days. And uh, I told you this on the phone. There's times in the past ten podcasts or so that you've referenced. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember where I was standing when we did this podcast on this subject or whatever else. I very much remember you and I talking about that on the phone and just a feeling of uh, of kind of, well, that's exceptionally disappointing that that's the way that your new head coach gets greeted by some what otherwise would seem to be some pretty silly budget cuts that have taken place to the point where like people don't have immediate access to bottled water and stuff like that. Right. The backstory that I was told on this, right, and I'm not like literally in the facility monitoring their their, their drink fridges, but they were spending a lot of money on drinks. It looked like some of the assistants and student assistants were probably taking home like cases of muscle milk, right? And the solution uh, to that was basically just cut out all the drinks. And, and I, I think the bottles of water are back, by the way. I don't think you still have to have a cup, but that that really did turn off some members of the staff on FSU pretty quickly, like when they got there. Um, there's a lot of budget coats going on right now, and that's largely related to how much money they were spending on stuff, some of which was not real necessary, some of which was absolutely necessary under the previous head coach. Now, look, if you're if you're Willie, if I was a head coach and I had my agent, I'm, I'm probably not going home and complaining to my wife, right? She almost never gets to see me because I work 100 hours a week. I'm probably going to call my agent and complain about stuff like this. Well, if that agent is a super agent and he and he represents the whole rest of the college ball world, they're going to be very informed on what you have to deal with at Florida State during this period of time in which the budget cuts are happening. So that, that kind of covers the perception issue, right? That, hey, they only gave this guy two years during an early signing period era. That doesn't seem like very much. And... The agent's going to know all, all the inner workings, right? Because he, he's repped the last two clients there. Now, the other side of this, I think, is the ongoing organizational issues, some of which there's a, a fairly like clear light at the end of the tunnel, and, and the issue is defining the length of the tunnel. And some, I'm, I'm not sure there is. So what? why don't you go ahead and take uh, take that side? Sure. And we've, look, we've, we and others have discussed ad, ad nauseum. You've got a You've got a president who's going out the door. You've got an athletic director who is uh, interim and everything but title at this point. And you've got a booster president that's very clearly transitioning out. But if uh, if one of these NFL uh, head coaches who's you know rumored to have told his agent that he wants his next job to be in college, if that guy uh, were to express an interest in Florida State right now, who does the hiring process? Who chooses a head coach in this hypothetical world that people want Willie Taggart to be canned and for there to go out and be a replacement right now. Is it Thrasher? 
Do you think he wants to lead another coaching search? I no, I know damn yeah. I, I've John Thrasher and I haven't had conversation. I don't want to make that sound like uh, the way that I'm representing this, but I know damn well he doesn't. It's it's in no one's interest to lead another <laughs> head coaching search right now, uh, or that they particularly want to go through that process again, or that anybody wants to particularly admit that uh, this process has been failed to the extent that you need to go through another one. Right. Okay. Uh, maybe the AD would. Oh wait, no. The AD is here basically just to slash the budget and get the budget back in, in you know, somewhat of of reality. He's never led a coaching search. He's never been an AD before, right? Like he's there, kind of. I think as you know, as someone who is brought in and he's really skilled at what he does, but he's he's never done done coaching searches before. Not like like high level type stuff, but the, the baseball thing to me is not the same um, unless you disagree. And then they're going to have a new, like a brand new booster organization. Like who is doing the coaching search? Also, let's say that they did successfully do a coaching search. All right. If you're a coach, are you taking that position? Knowing that the three, three, three people you have to answer to are going to be gone within one to two years of your tenure. Probably not. Right. Like that's, that's a whole lot of instability. Not many people with options. No. No, nobody nobody takes a job where they know they're going to have a new boss within 8 to 12 months and a boss who more times than not historically wants to make their own set of hires when it comes to uh, some of the larger, more revenue uh, potent sports. The other side of this th- that I see, right, is the current budget cuts. OK, so with this hypothetical, we said, all right, let's say you had the money to buy Willie out and we're going to assume you had the money to buy his staff out, too. All right. You're already under current budget cuts. The people who have apparently ponied up the money to pay the buyout, you would have to come back to them and say, hey, now we're going to have to pay another buyout of the coach we want to go hire and his staff. I I think that your ability to not only – even if you had the money to to buy out Willie, I think the money to go acquire a new coach right now is lacking because you would have had to scrape and claw – just to get the buyout money for Willie. So I think it really limits the pool of people who you could go get as far as from a financial standpoint. It also potentially impacts your ability to go out and, and, and get somebody because they're going to know about the cuts, right? Like a lot of these schools now have, have staffs of, of full-timers of 50 and 60 non-coaching personnel. We know Georgia does. There was, a, there was an article in Yahoo about it. You have... Florida, who's adding recruiting assistance left and right to help out Dan Mullen, who look desperately needs it. But at Florida State, you don't have a recruiting assistant for every 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 position coach. That's pretty standard at a lot of the SEC schools now. If you're a coach taking this job, you know you kind of got a money ball. It. We said this even when Taggart was taking the job, right? It's not a place that has unlimited funds. Now, that doesn't mean they can't compete. They just have to be a little bit smarter about how they spend their money at times. But if you're a coach coming in and you know that they're in the middle of these budget cuts, it's not just a one-year thing, right? It's going to take some time for this stuff to all make sense. You you can't be – I think if you're a coach, you're going to say, okay, how much money am I going to have to work with, right? Are you going to take my drinks out of my fridge? Are you uh, you going to allow me to hire this many non-coaching assistants? And I think it also impacts your ability to set them up for success. I I just – this is not the right time to make make a move like this if you care about the long term. Now, if you're just reactionary and want just a new guy in there, okay, or think you can get some absolute steal on the cheap, 
and you had the money for the buyout. Okay, whatever. Yeah, I, I just it, it seems like it's not. It, it seems very reactionary to me. Not that the current situation isn't bad, but they are improving some. And if, as long as they keep moving in the right direction, I would just not make this move. Oh, and the APR issue, right? Like you're still going to have that issue somewhat next year. It's a four-year rolling average. You've had one full year of academics now under Taggart. It's about to be two. Uh, if you take – like the new guy will still have to deal with that if he comes in next year, so that's not going to happen. You want to hire somebody who has good options, and you want to end up being the option they choose, right? You don't want to be get stuck with some retread who would jump at the chance to take any kind of decent coaching job. And, and I think right now you'd have to ha- either have somebody with a like a not very much experience at all or a, a real retread type situation. At this point in time, it's uh, it's not as attractive as a job as the Florida State community wants it to be before it has to go through any type of coaching search again, and uh, it's just a not a not a good marriage or confluence of events for Florida State to be on the market. Uh, to go out and look for a quality candidate. It's something that uh, this is your head coach. This is going to be your head coach for another another season. And um, certainly a lot of reasons to be concerned and reasons to think that he has uh, accelerated the process of potentially making himself a lame duck head coach should this season be uh, disappointing. But that's a, that's a title that Willie Taggart's going to carry on for uh, more than another calendar year by – um, by all likelihood. So by all foreseeable circumstances. Let me give you a scenario here. Willie still makes a bowl this year and the APR improves. Next year, he's able to get a couple of these kind of iffy kids off the roster. Recruiting remains okay. And the like overall kind of culture continues to improve. He goes like eight and four next year. The buyout drops the budget comes in a little more in whack, like, like excuse me, in check, and you're able to make some kind of move. You don't have to to pinch pennies quite as much with your new head coach as as you might, you know, have, have had to if you to try to make some kind of move this year. Like what? What's the rush? If the circumstances you laid out, I don't think leads to a change. I, I think if Willie Taggart makes a bowl game this year, he's. Uh, yeah, he's he's going to be in a, a. I just mean af, after next year. So no bowl game this year. A bowl game in twenty twenty. You're saying? No, I was saying it, like let's say you make a bowl this year, right? You go you go six and six. Right? I, I think it's, it's very possible. All right, and then next year you go eight and four or something. You've improved the culture. You just haven't won enough. They they get rid of you, but they're actually in a better financial spot to make an actual coaching change. Like I, I just I don't think that. I think the potential downside to make a coaching change this year is a lot higher than the potential upside. There's no real obvious candidate who you have to go make a move on at this point who you wouldn't be able to get next year who would actually take the job. And it's just, it's not a great situation to be taking over right now. You want to have a situation that is good to take over. And I, I think that's, I don't know. I Like, what are they worried about? Like losing some season ticket sales and... Most of your season ticket holders right now are season ticket holders because they're diehards and they love the program. I don't think they're going to have some enormous season ticket sale drop-off this year and the next. Uh, if they do, maybe they can improve their customer service a little bit because we, we still get all those emails about you know the, the bad customer service experiences. 
We do. There are they they there are some concerning numbers that the boosters are looking at, and and that's obvious. But and it's not just in ticket sales. It's, uh, it's maybe some of the contributions that have been pledged have not been collected at the same level that they have in the past. Uh, there 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 are some concerns out there. But and I don't mean to keep dragging this stick through the mud. But under the hypothetical you laid out, uh, Willie's six and six this year, eight and four next year. Uh, Willie's, in my opinion, your head coach in 2021. I, I don't think any type of move is made uh, if that's how the next, uh, you know, if that's how the next 15 months play out or so. That's probably fair. Um, and, and then you get him to get his shot at Clemson without Trevor. So, all right. You know what happens when you call 844-FSU-LOAN? That's 844-FSU-LOAN or you visit FSUHomeLoans.com. You get hooked up with the best loan guy in the business. That's That's Shannon Young. We just knocked out two more loans. I shipped off the T-shirts last week, and we already got got the uh, got the feedback on Twitter uh, from from Chris and Audrey. Congratulations on their new home. What is that? Over thirty new homeowners thanks to Resolution Home Loans and the Old Cash Loan Program. Very excited about that. Shannon's a great guy to deal with. Uh, if you want to talk ball, he'll definitely talk your ear off about football. If you want to get right down to the numbers, he'll do that with you too. Or somewhere in between, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Find out why so many Nolcast listeners have chosen to go with Shannon. All right. Well, uh, time to go to some uh, uh, listener questions. I believe most of these are taken from our uh, Patreon page, right? Yeah. Uh, Nolcast has a Patreon page if you choose to support. Uh, we've already nearing uh, making a purchase that is going towards the improvement of the of the podcast as far as an audio quality goes and uh, very much appreciate those that have uh, chosen to support us again nolcast or excuse me patreon.com backslash nolcast uh listener questions the first one comes from andrew and a lot of these we've kind of organically touched on uh if we've covered it verbatim we'll just note that and move on but we'll do our best to uh to provide an answer to everything we have here in front of us andrew asks at the slow rate this team is improving how long do you think it'll take until this team gets back to a respectable level and does Taggart make it long enough to see his team's improvement, or is he laying the foundation for the next coaching staff? Wow, I feel like we answered part of this uh, just right a second ago. Um, respectable level. So, like, respectable level as in, like, plays at a top 25 level. Uh, they, they could do that next year, I think. If they're able to play at, like, a top 45 level this year, they, they could play at a top 25 level uh, next year, potentially. Um as far as you know, ratings they have Notre Dame next year, correct? I believe that, that that's difficult uh, as well on the schedule with, with Florida and Notre Dame in the non-conference. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think that's that crazy. Now, does Taggart make it long enough to see his team's improvement, or is he laying the foundation for the next coaching staff? Well, I think he's made some major missteps with with some important people. Um, I think he misjudged his team early on, and he's trying to make up for some lost time. Now we'll have to see. If he's able to do that, right now I'm probably leaning towards towards laying the foundation for the next coaching staff. Not like a crazy hard lean, because he does have a track record of turning around stuff when it looks really bleak. Uh, I, I think you'd be kind of foolish to doubt that, given what we saw at USF and WKU. Um, but like stuff has not gone his way, and sometimes the holes are just too big to dig out of. We'll have to see what he can do there. Tony asks, what's the move to get the defense some recovery time late in the game? It's happened every game this year, where they performed shattered in the fourth quarter. 
I think we really discussed this pretty hard in the opening, so we, we should move on to the next one because we uh, we're coming up on, uh, on an hour here. Just get some stops earlier in the game, right? <laughs> don't, don't allow like nine-yard drives twice in the first the – two of the first three drives that Virginia had were, 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 were nine-play drives. Maybe, you know, get some more three and outs and, and, and maybe allow a couple long scores. Don't, don't tax yourself so much early on in the game, right? How many three and outs do they force in this game? Two? Yeah, two three and outs. That's that's not that that's not acceptable, and it does not fit with the style of offense you were trying to play. All right, uh, let me see here. Byron asks, "What positive have you seen on the offensive side of the ball under Bryles? Improved organization and tempo, fairly uh, effective in hiding the offensive line deficiencies. Conversely, what areas haven't been as strong? Lack of explosive plays. I, I'm right there with him. Yeah, they they need to find a way to create more explosive plays." on offense um down the field passing i think has been a weakness so far wouldn't you say they they have not had very many of those uh, long connections like we saw oh. at houston and baylor yeah. and boise made some real adjustments after the first half that uh, you know it's going to be real tough to get some of those uh slot guys one-on-one with safeties i have a feeling i mean people are going to make you people are, are going to make you earn it they're not going to let you throw over the the top of them. Uh, and that's something that I think uh, people saw the first half of the Boise tape and have made some adjustments to it. Uh, look, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think the offensive line has wildly overperformed. And uh, yes, uh, tempo has been the beneficiary to them. But even in times where I've thought that uh, it was a somewhat fairly passing, obvious passing situation, just from the mental snapshots from last year to or from this year to last uh there has been time provided to James Blackman in a manner that it just wasn't there last year regardless of who the quarterback was uh so i know that they still have some really nasty statistics to, attached to their name and we've detailed that this is a 2 3 year rebuild uh along the offensive line but in my opinion they are uh, far ahead of schedule and uh Credit to Bryles and and more credit to to Clements for the job that he's done so far. I think they deserve some credit for being fairly assignment sound against UVA. That, that was one one area I had, and this is an area that we did not really discuss yet. But they, they didn't have that many free runners at Blackman, right? They they got beat physically some, but I was worried that UVA was going to scheme up more guys who just had like total free shots on them, and they didn't have that many. So from a a overall pass protection standpoint. And knowing your assignments and working together as a unit, uh, I've been impressed with the job that Randy Clements has done uh, in in hiding these guys. He also brought up a good point here, or kind of a tangential point that I'd like to talk about just briefly. Blackman seems to do a pretty good job playing outside the confines of the offense, but inside the confines of the offense, to me, he doesn't look fully comfortable. The tempo probably helps with that some because it's, it's very simplified, but like, he almost seems better when he's just like shuffling around trying to find an open guy as opposed to getting the ball out on time and playing within the confines. That's an area that if you want to be optimistic, you could say, okay, maybe with more reps in the system, more games, more game reps, more practice reps, et cetera, uh, that he's able to, to improve upon uh, with greater comfort in the system. 
certainly uh, certainly fair and a, a hope that uh, Florida State fans can have. James certainly been up and down so far. Um, Derek asks, how does Florida State handle the loss of Kando? Staff had concerns about the depth at defensive end before the season, and this only makes a bad situation worse. In the preseason pods, you both felt that we would not quite uh, that we would not see quite as many three four looks as the season progressed due to opponents running more spread type offenses. Do you still feel this way, or will the staff be forced more towards a three four based off the injury history? Okay, so a lot of this is going to depend on on what they can get out, out of their some of their young guys at, at, on the edge because Kendo was actually playing better than anybody expected him to play, uh, and I mean the issue now is he's hurt and, and done for the year. Maybe you'll see more more three down in their dime and nickel looks. I, I think that's possible. You're, you're going to see almost exclusively spread offenses from here on out. So that's a bad bad thing though, and yeah, like you're definitely not going to see as much. Three, four from here on out, regardless of Kendo, simply because you're not playing very many 12 and 21 type looks, and you know, 21 being two backs, one tight end, 12 being one back, two tight ends. Um, so, you, you know, you're going to see more four, two, five, and 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 more more nickel, more dime. Uh, but I, I do have concerns now about their pass rush, even greater than I did before, and I think we had serious concerns about it before. Massive concerns, and and I realize uh, you're limited as to what you can do. And you've got to play the best scheme possible. But to me, uh, number 11 needs to be in a three-point stance way, way more frequently than a two-point stance. Uh, he just is a, a guy that's very limited in what he can do uh, at times, uh, particularly as they get him into a little bit more space. So uh, we'll see what they can do with the, you know, what they have to work with. But, yeah, Kando certainly had so far uh, performed at a higher level than I think either of us expected going into the season uh next question next question comes from deandre and he asks is this blackman ceiling this offense is a quick hitting one but he routinely misses open to even wide open wide receivers uh do you think hornybrook will get an extended look at some time uh i i can't rule out hornybrook getting an extended look but at the same time he really wasn't any good at wisconsin and I think if you go all in on Hornerbrook, you're, you're kind of what does that say about next year, right? That's probably going to decrease people's confidence in Willie even more. But if if James keeps missing some of these these easier throws, you may have to make make a change. Um, it's not like James's legs are helping you out a whole lot, right? And if that was one of the advantages you believed you had in James over Hornerbrook, then yeah, maybe you do go make a change. There are very obvious like relationship type concerns you would have with making that change that the teammates do like James a whole lot. And I when Willie says they play hard for him, I believe it. They didn't quit in this game, and that's not something I'm like, oh, congratulations, you didn't quit. No, like you're not supposed to quit. But this team has quit a ton over the last three to four years to the point where they had to sign Dan Promise Notes to play hard. Like what, four years ago now? So I think you'd have to be real sure that James is just not going to get it before you make the change to Hornerberg. I'd, I'd be exceptionally slow with a hook on James James Blackman, and uh, no reason to be redundant. I'll end it there. Uh, Trey asks, is it ignorant for any of us to criticize individual play calling, but any reason why we don't see a more steady dose of acres in the second half? So I went and looked at this, right? Um and I thought it was a good question by Trey because it made me look. I, w- I wasn't really thinking of exactly how many times that Akers had the ball in the second half. Um, 
He actually had uh, he had twelve touches in the second half. That's you know roughly what a pace for for twenty four in the game. You got to realize they only had eleven possessions in this game, so it's not like in some of the other games where they've had fourteen or fifteen or sixteen. Uh, eleven does limit how many times you can touch the ball uh, somewhat. So in the third quarter, Florida State had two drives. Uh, he had five carries and two catches on those drives. That, that's seven touches. Um, that's that's a pretty good rate. In the fourth quarter, they had three drives. Now, one of the drives was, was the final drive, right? And they weren't running the ball a whole lot on that drive due to the, the clock concerns. But he ended up having five rushing attempts in the fourth quarter. Um, one of the larger issues here was they just didn't have the ball a whole lot. Now, the second-to-last drive – in the third quarter, or excuse me, in the fourth quarter, is the one where I think it's fair, uh, fair to criticize. Now, in that one, if I can pull up, pull up my, my play sheet here, uh, Florida State gets the ball, and this is the one where they had three straight passes, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah, the nine second drive. Now, look, the first one is is a four yard pass to, to Ontario Wilson. That's not a successful play, right? Because you you, you want to gain. At least fifteen. Excuse me. At least fifty percent. So you want to get five, but but four for this offense is not that bad, and it does keep you out of like a real obvious passing down. So I'm I'm kind of okay with that. I don't have a problem with that. And then you had James Blackman actually run the ball, so it wasn't like they didn't run the ball. I believe that that was a busted play. I think. Yeah, that was that was not a design run, if I remember. Yeah, at least not for Blackman, right? I mean, we're pretty sure you're not designing James Blackman going up the middle. That's. A reasonable assumption on our part, I think. Um, so, you know, that that's a bit of an issue there. I would like to see Black and get, or excuse me, Acres get the ball potentially on that second down. Third and six, you're not going to get the ball to Acres most likely unless you're planning on going for it. Uh, and they were at the uh, they were at their own 29. So even if you got two yards or three yards, you'd still be only like a 32. You're unlikely to go for it there. I think on your own 32 with like a fourth and three. So. The second down was probably the time there in the fourth quarter where I could have seen giving him the ball. Uh, who knows? Maybe that's actually what was called on, on that botched play. I, I'm not sure. But they definitely botched that. That's That can't be by design. So overall, I would say I don't have a huge issue with it. Maybe one more carry would have would have got it done. Um, but the lack of, of drives was, was definitely a big thing. I mean, UVA held the ball really for a lot of the game because the defense had an inability to get off the field. UVA, uh, their last four drives, 439, 633, 540, and 220. 220 was obviously the touchdown there uh, in the final drive for UVA. So Trey also asked, the linebackers seem to be better with the run fits and the defensive line got more penetration than any other game this, this season. What can you attribute that sudden growth to? Well, I think they had a, a, a simplification of their run fits. It, it seemed like the guys were playing with more confidence. They were recognizing what they needed to hit uh, and got downhill better. In fact, all the linebackers triggered and, and, and got downhill much more quickly, I thought. And the defensive linemen, uh, they played more in control, I think, right? Like they were they were trying to push the offensive linemen back uh, and, and keep – Perkins in the pocket. I, I think it was just a game plan that made sense from the run-stopping perspective uh, and one that they got the offense to be to be confident in. I wonder if they went back to some of their run fits 
that they were using last year. Because last year, they at times, they did trigger and get downhill pretty well. They were a decent run defense last year. Their issue last year was largely in, in pass defense, um, which it still is. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that UVA's offensive line is, uh, was worse. Than, I didn't think it was a strength by any means. Uh, th- that was a poorer unit than I expected to see on Saturday. Uh, so not trying to take away from what the defensive line did, but that, that was not uh, uh, not a great matchup for them. So we'll see. We'll see if that's the case and how much that's true moving forward. Andy asked, not a question. <laughs> <laughs> Andy asked, uh, can someone please specifically ask Willie at a press conference what value Dontavius Jackson provides on the field? He's probably going to talk about physicality, I would guess. Um I would like to see Dontavious play less uh, as they play more spread teams. Right? I think you, you can go a little lighter personnel. Period. Full stop. Oh, just, yeah, against anybody. He's just not playing. I mean, he's, he's uh, to me, he's kind of, He's kind of rat trapping. Uh, he's. I don't think. I think he knows he's not playing well. When you when you choose to just blindly attack a blocker rather than the ball carrier, I think that's indicative of somebody that's just very frustrated and thought the play was over and decided to hit somebody else. Uh, it's just a. It's just a guy who, for whatever reason, it hasn't clicked at all this year, and it. it not only has it had not clicked, like nothing is fired. It's just been a very disappointing effort so far and even with the style of offenses that are in front of us I, th- I think that uh Dontavious has has earned himself into seeing fewer and fewer snaps and it'll be interesting to see how that's handled because I, I don't get necessarily the figure uh the idea that Dontavious would go uh you know quietly uh with his uh with his time uh, let me just say he'll he'll voice his frustrations with some of his snaps if they're not there. Let me put it that way. The weird thing is, I actually think he was improved in this game, somewhat. Like he was real bad the first two games. I thought. Now I'm not saying he played well, but he actually did a couple things in this game. It's like, oh wow, all right, Dontavious like actually like attacked a gap and kind of made a play. It, now if he can improve at this rate in every single game, successively, like you know, consecutively. He could be a really good player by the end of the year. It's, it's I don't know if that's improvement is uh, sustainable, but uh, but yeah. Um, Ian asks, uh, at what point do you go full youth movement? If you do that, if we do that now, who are the guys you would expect to see their playing time increase, and who would you expect to see less snaps, no snaps? Well, Dontavious would obviously be one. Like I don't think you'd see a whole lot of snaps anymore from Kyle Myers. You probably wouldn't play like. Fagan Becker. If you're just trying to go full youth movement, it'd be a lot of these guys on defense. Yeah, Gavin on the yeah, offensive Gavin side wouldn't of the play ball. Anymore. If you're just going full youth movement, like the question asked, Gavin wouldn't play anymore. You're probably going to keep playing Cam Akers, right? Um, I'm not pulling Marvin Wilson or, or Corey Durden. Hope so. But it would be mostly on uh, mostly on the defense. You'd probably try to work some of the more young linemen in just to get them some game reps. Although I think they would struggle because I don't know what they have there. They would be worse, I think, if you go, like, just being legitimate here. I'm not trying to say that they couldn't make it work at all, but uh, I think they would struggle if you go full youth movement. Now, selective youth movement, I've I've been kind of a fan of that for a while now. All right, uh, Kristen Brandon, any suggested verbiage on how to relay the positive changes Taggart will eventually have in place to upset fans? 
uh, or to the upset fans, not to upset fans. <laughs> I do support what he can bring and love his approach, but I can only mention the APR slash culture shift slash miscellaneous no-cast nuggets so often before they tune it out. Uh, it's like them saying they don't like Louisiana hot sauce after only adding a drop to their Saturday dinner for 12 weeks instead of putting on three meals a day for a much longer time period. Excellent shout-out to the, uh, the sponsor there. Yeah. Great shout-out, uh Chris, I would tell you to go back and listen to maybe the first 90 seconds of the podcast. That's uh, that's the best thing that I can do if you choose to have that conversation. I can also very much empathize with those of your friends uh, that would be frustrated. It's a it's an interesting situation so far and uh, one that I kind of understand both points, but or both sets of uh, points. But that's uh, the direction that I'd point you in. Bud gives you gives us some nice little talking points about. Uh, things that are only but uh, what the number sees out there and not necessarily any kind of uh, human perception. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Look, I think one other thing is the, the willingness to get rid of coaches if he needs to, right? Like if he needs to get rid of Barnett or Woody at the end of the year, he's shown at other jobs that he's absolutely willing to get rid of guys who don't pull their weight as coaches, sometimes in the middle of the season even. So I – like – like uh What's his name? Who was in special teams last year? Uh, Harrison? Was that his name? Uh, oh, what's uh, – shoot. They, they had some of the worst special teams in the nation, so it makes sense we'd forget the guy's name. He's coaching at Arkansas right now. His name slips my mind. And Arkansas sucks. So, uh, okay. Probably not, not his fault there. Uh, Chris asks, we have very highly rated DB recruiting classes the past few years. The secondary has not played well overall. We all assume because of the coaching. But can you dive into that and explain – uh, what part is not being coached well? Thank you. Sure. So I don't think that they that they teach their zone scheme very well. They do not seem to close down on the receivers when they enter their zone. They do not pass off receivers from zone to zone uh, very well at all. The communication is poor. I think some of their zone turns from the corner position are a little bit suspect. And for the most part, I think it's basically the teaching of the scheme as a unit. Some people want to criticize that their ability to play through the hands and not turn around for the ball. But too often, I think that that issue is misdiagnosed. Rather, I'm of the opinion that uh, them being out of position uh, is, is the bigger issue, not how they play the ball, right? If they're in phase and they can actually turn for the ball, then, then that's awesome. But they're just not in phase uh, enough. I also, uh, Jimmy chimes in, I also don't understand the secondary and the cushions given. Additionally, on the wheel route, UVA ran for a TD. How is zone coverage if Samuel follows the receiver across the middle on the post instead of releasing that safety to the middle of the field? Or, excuse me, instead of releasing that receiver to the safety in the middle of the field? Well, it's zone coverage. It's just not... uh not effective it's just zone not, coverage. Not an executed yeah. zone coverage. Yeah, we kind of referenced this earlier in the show. Uh, real tough to put that on number 35. That's uh, That appears to just be a blown assignment. Okay, uh, we have, what, one more here, I believe, for tonight. And then we're, man, this is a long one, but I feel like it was it went fast. Vinay. Vinay, we think? V-I-N-A-Y? Asks, Pretty sure, Vinay. Uh, okay. Of the three quarterbacks on staff, Jordan seems to be the most compatible with Bryle's system and the least, quote, ready. If the plan is to go full bore next year, uh, is it worth starting to insert him in the game uh, for some plays this season to see how he performs in real-life scenarios? If we go into next season with Blackman and Jordan unable to deliver, I really don't think we should be rolling out Sims in his freshman year, and I don't think Wyatt is, meaning Wyatt Rector, is what Taggart wants to tie his employment to. 
Okay, so a couple things here. Yeah, White Rector's not going to be your starter. I'm very confident in that. Uh, I think Jordan probably has a decent amount of time needed to, to learn the offense. I have no idea if he's going to end up getting in games here. It's certainly possible, but I don't know that it's guaranteed. Would you put Jordan in at some points this year if you can get some blowouts? Yeah, I think I would. I have no idea what the plan was going to be for Louisiana Monroe if you had had managed to actually blow those guys out and score 50-plus like you probably should have. But instead, the offense played pretty poorly. The defense played poorly too, but the offense really did not do a very good job in that game relative to how bad uh, the ULM defense is.